Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us and a longtime educator in the space, somebody who showed me several projects and I've been watching since the fall of 2020, known for his deep research and unique perspective on layer one projects. Kevin Cage is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the state of American crypto regulation is finally reaching a breaking point with the American public being exposed to the incompetence of SEC chairman Gary Gensler yesterday. A new court ruling out of Hong Kong is labeling cryptocurrencies as property, and the United States IRS seems to agree, claiming crypto should be treated with property taxes. Casper has been announced as the largest enterprise blockchain development in history, initially bringing over $8 billion in patented technology to this blockchain. And with Gary Gensler describing all digital assets as securities, we break down the details, showing our community how the institutional adoption in crypto is creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, it is not Merlin Monday, but I see your sport in the gear. How are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Uh, abs, I'm feeling great. Let me start out like I always do. Good morning to all the warrior maniacs out there. We love you guys. We appreciate you for showing up every single day. We got Jenna in the house. Shout out to the wonderful Jenna X. I love her as well. Mario, good morning. Abs, good morning. And I got a very special good morning today. I am so excited. Abs, abs, you know how like, well, maybe you don't know because you're still young, but you ever know like when you hear a song from your old days when you were growing up and it brings you to that old happy place many, many years ago when you were a kid. Whenever I hear Kevin Cage's voice, because he was one of the very first people 
I started listening to when I got into crypto and, you know, was pumping it. It was great times. I hear Kevin's voice. I get super excited. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. I can't wait to hop into it with you, brother. I love you, man. Awesome. Hey, guys. good morning, man. Love you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Very excited to have you, Kevin. Mario, you almost got skipped because of Johnny Crypto, so don't blame me this morning, but very excited to see your face. I love the three t-shirt. How you feeling, my friend? Appreciate you, man. Good morning, everybody. I am feeling great. I'm super happy to be here. Last week was awesome. Spending time with you all was amazing, but I am looking forward to hear uh, Kevin this morning as well. I know that Casper is one of his uh, expert topics, and it's not mine, so I'm looking forward to learn some stuff this morning. Absolutely, Kevin. I'm very excited to have you in the morning in the building as well. Today, we're going to be talking about XRP, Gary Gensler, and of course, Casper for many of our listeners out there. But before we do that, how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for making time for us. Yeah, doing great. It's been a long 75 days after finishing out a workout program. So excited for the market outlook this year. And I think we're going to have a nice summer and a much better year than 2022. Amazing. And with that being said, guys, we're going to start this show off the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. You get access to our whole team. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. Johnny Crypto, the Bitcoin fear and greed index is up five basis points from yesterday, sitting at a 63 in greed. But let's check out some of the daily movers. It's red across the board. We've got FTT up about 7.6%. Stay away from that token. When we check out the total coin market cap, we are sitting at 1.23 trillion in total market cap this morning. Bitcoin is 46% dominance. Ethereum is about 20%. We've got Bitcoin back below 30,000 at 29,300. Ethereum, 1,900. XRP is 52 cents or just 50 cents flat, actually. Wow, I've never seen that. Exactly 50 cents for XRP. Cardano is 42 cents. Avalanche, $20. Stellar below 10 cents. And Quant Network, one of our favorites, sitting at 112. And Johnny, before we kick it to Kevin Cage this morning, I'd love to get a brief update from you. What are some of the projects that you've been watching? I know you gave an update on some gaming tokens. Maybe you'd like to make that here. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, obviously, you know which one I'm definitely watching. I always got my eye on Quant. I told Mario to stick around. Hopefully, he'll be able to buy it at 60. Maybe there's still a chance for that. I don't know. I hope so, so I don't look like a liar. But uh, we're getting there. But, abs, you know, I am definitely a gaming guy. I do like some of the gaming plays. And certainly I'm looking at, uh, yeah, obviously Gala is a, a common one. Everybody's aware of that one. But the new one that just launched their token about two weeks ago was, M uh, everybody pronounces it different. I say Myra. It's M-Y-R-I-A. Myria. Myria. I say Myria. But uh, the reality is, yeah, I like that one. Um, I do believe it's going to be one of those that's going to pick up steam. They've got a ton of games. They've got a ton of people behind it. Do your own research. We're not financial advisors. Not financial advice. You need to do it yourself. But I do like that one because I do believe in the next bull run, as Gala picks up steam and runs up, people will then just start to look for, oh, who else is in that category, right? Who are some of those players? And I think Myra is going to be one of those bigger, you know, has the potential with all the backing behind it and, and the shit ton of games that they've already got in development. I think they'll seem credible. And remember, we're in a speculative space right now. And speculation drives prices higher than actually utility, believe it or not. Um but so nonetheless, or at least early on. So I think Myra's one of those big plays. So yeah, Abs, I'm I'm slowly picking some of that up. That's one of my favorite pickups right now. Absolutely. And Kevin, we are going to talk about Casper, but I'd love to get into an initial story about Algorand. But before we do that, we got 266 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We got Kevin Cage in the building. So I'm super excited for this episode. One of the charts that we've been looking at recently is Algorand because it's starting to look very bullish when you just look at the price chart. But earlier this week, the SEC filed a lawsuit against Bittrex and labeled Algorand as well as five other cryptocurrencies 
as security. So before I get into the details with that, Kevin, I'd love to get your thoughts. How do you feel about Algorand, the project overall? And are you worried now that the SEC has tried to label this as a security? Yeah, so keep in mind, Gensler basically gave the green light for Algo years ago, being colleagues with the founder of Algorand, Silvio Mikali, and saying that you could essentially run Uber and other applications on top of it. So it's very confusing now that he's coming after it, going after Algorand for, you know, potentially sales as a security. I've always been bullish. I am currently still holding um, a good position in Algo. And I like the chart even before this news came out. So I'm very curious what could happen. There are open gaps at 16 cents for Algo. But if we simply caught up with what Casper, HBAR, and XRP do, we could see 30 cents and 44 cents for the exact same levels they hit. Um, And then this morning, I guess, over 5% or in the last 24 hours, the circulating supply has increased. So the Algo Foundation is reallocating some funds to the community and ecosystem. We have the NFT tickets with the airlines for Algorand using smart contracts. And that could be a really, really large use case. And we have 60 airlines in exploration, keyword being exploration, not launching. Um, But overall, I think it's a legitimate project. I hope this would be one of these scenarios where we see max FUD and fear before retracement, but you just never know. Absolutely, Kevin. You brought it up yourself, so I may as well play this video. This is a video of Gary Gensler from back in 2019. I believe this is when he was teaching at MIT, and he's describing how you can build decentralized applications on Algorand. Governance is tough. You could create Uber or Lyft on top of a blockchain technology today. Uh, well, maybe in five years you could. It would be have the performance. Uh, Sylvia McCallie's Algorand, uh, who's a uh, Turing Award winner at, at MIT that I work with. Um, Sylvia's got a great technology that has performance. You could create Uber on top of it. So Johnny Crypto, ironically enough for Gary Gensler, this video is the reason I bought Algorand. So now what do we do? I use him as financial advice. So where does Gary Gensler fall in all this? And of course, that's just a joke for our listeners out there. But before we move on, I'd love to get some thoughts from you and Mario. How do you feel about Gary Gensler changing his stance on Algorand now that we're seeing crypto regulation come to fruition? Gary Gensler has been flip-flopping like John Kerry. If you guys remember, he was going back and forth. He can't make up his mind which side he's on. In college, he says one thing. As the chair, he says another. Someone should play him his own videos and let him hear what he thinks. Maybe he could reconvince himself again. I don't know where he is. I mean, we know what's going on, right? We know Operation Choke Point is out there to squeeze crypto off. And Gary is using the unclarity in this space to basically do that. And I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it any simpler than that. You could kind of see the writing on the walls because um, Gary keeps saying, it's very clear. It's very clear. Come on in. Come on in. We're going to work with you. And every single, every single company or agency that's gone in to work with them, whether it's Nexo, Kraken, Coinbase, Ripple, what happens? You don't walk out with clarity. You don't walk out with an approval license. You know what you get? Pow! You get slapped a lawsuit or you get sued in millions of dollars. So you can't come and tell me that they want to, they want to work with them. And not a single, not a single one has walked away with uh, the ability to work in the U.S. It makes no sense, Abs. It's complete hypocrisy at the highest, highest levels. Yep, it is hypocrisy at its highest level. And you know, it if we look back at before when Gensler, before Gensler became chair of the SEC, everybody was so bullish with him becoming the chair of the SEC because of this, because of how much he understood the space, how much he understood the technology. But okay, it's super obvious he's. He, he's got to be a puppet at this point and he's only doing what they want him to do. And, and he's coming after everybody. And it's just, yeah, like Johnny said, hypocrisy. Absolutely guys. And Kevin, I'm not sure if you had any additional comments. 
the floor is yours. Yeah, just just regarding that. So that was Gary Gensler's colleague at MIT. He has Turing Awards, and he's the man that essentially founded Zero Knowledge Proofs, which is going to be a huge use case to verify information on the blockchain without giving away sensitive information. That's going to lead to enterprise adoption. So Gary's simply punishing those that are actually innovating and those that are left in the U.S., we're going to about to break down why he's punishing certain projects and giving others a free pass. But before we do that, we're going to show you a video of John Deaton discussing crypto regulation and how Gary Gensler may have backed himself into a corner yesterday afternoon. To crypto. And this is what he said. He said, if there's a website, that's indication. If it is software that needs to be upgraded, that is indication of security. If there are lawyers who have been hired to come in to meet with us, that is an indication of a security because there's a small group of entrepreneurs involved. Just think about that for a second. The man has been saying for two years, come in and talk to us. Come in and talk to us. Now he's saying if you come in and talk to him and you hire lawyers to do it, that indicates that you have a security. He literally said that today in in, uh, the hearing. And then he also threw out if there's Twitter accounts. So think about that. Website, Twitter accounts uh, is upgraded, software being upgraded. So what's that tell you about what his thoughts are of Ethereum? He won't answer it, people, but you know clearly meeting his definition, Bitcoin would be implicated. I'm not saying he's saying that. I'm just telling you, if you listen to what he said, wasn't there a Bitcoin taproot software upgrade? Doesn't Bitcoin get upgraded? Uh, Ethereum upgrade, the Shanghai that just happened. All of those things indicate what we warned a crypto law a year and a half ago. Every single token is in danger with this guy. Johnny, we've highlighted this on for several months on our channel. And Kevin, just to fill you in what we've, we've been saying before I get a response, one of the reasons I believe that Gary Gensler is so comfortable labeling Bitcoin as a commodity and everything else as a security is he's going to distance himself from the corruption that took place with the Ethereum Alliance during the mid-2015-2016 bull run. There were commissioners at the SEC who not only worked for members of Simpson and Thatcher and One River before entering the Securities and Exchange Commission, they then left their positions and went back to those firms. Now, the reason those firms are so important is because they are publicly a part of the Ethereum Alliance, which means they're basically promoted or incentivized to promote this technology to get money in their pockets. So I just wanted to give you a chance there. I know Gary Gensler is going to go after Ethereum for the staking upgrade that took place in 2020. Could this be to protect everyone who invested during the 2015-16 bull run? Ooh, that that is very interesting. I mean, by that logic, you know, all blockchain and these networks, they need to have software updates, especially with adoption. They need to, you know, upgrade consensus, you know, validators, anything in between. And by that logic, everything is a security whether it's the XRP Ledger Foundation, Casper Association, these platforms that are trying to further decentralize these networks as they grow, provide software development kits. He just doesn't want innovation. He's using 70-year-old laws on things that need new regulation. Absolutely. And Johnny Crypto, I'd love to get a response from you as well. Jeremy Hogan has chimed in on the way that they've been monitoring and regulating these markets. But before we get into it, tell me what you think about Ethereum and Gary Gensler distancing himself from calling it a security, but describing it as a security. This is exactly the problem right here. I literally just said that 10 minutes ago. This is the problem. Everybody goes in 
looking to work with them, asking for help. Look, and they refuse to do so every single. And the part that's mind boggling to me is why a single senator didn't bring this up yesterday and say, Gary, we know Bitrex has come to you. Nexo has come to you. Kraken has come to you. Coinbase has come to you. Ripit has come. And I'm sure Ripple has come to you. And I'm sure there's a list of 10 other ones. And the question is, I wish somebody would have said to him, Gary, you keep saying, come in, we'll work with you. Well, why is every single one walking out with no clarity? That's the question Gary needs to answer. But you know what, apps? We're never getting the answer to the question. Because first of all, we're not even going to get the question. And if we do, we're definitely not going to get the answer. Because you saw that session yesterday. We sat here for four hours and we watched it. And every single time, Either they don't let him answer or, you know, because they only got five minutes to ask the question. They don't want to lose their time. Or he answers with an answer that is just ridiculous. And he doesn't even answer yes, doesn't answer no, doesn't give any clarity. Just keeps pointing back to the fact that there's a 70-year law and everybody should know it. And everybody should come in and work with them. But when they come in, they come out with a lawsuit. Absolutely, guys. And I know we're going to play a lot of videos for today, but for good reason, as this is Gary Gensler being backed into a corner when it comes to Ethereum and specifically how he's going to regulate this market going forward. And the one thing that I want you to pay attention to during this interview is how he describes Ethereum, but then how he describes a security. So with that being said, we're going to let this short clip play and go back to the group here. Here we go. Central assets and powers Ethereum blockchain. Uh, back in 2018, then SEC Corporation Finance Director Bill Hinman uh, stated that he believed Ether was not a security. Uh, last month, CFTC Chair uh, Benham expressed his view that Ether is a commodity. Uh, the State Attorney General of New York asserted in a court filing last month that Ether is a security. Clearly, an asset cannot be both a commodity and a security. Do you agree? Um, I, I, it, actually, all securities are commodity under the Commodity Exchange Act. It's that we are excluded commodities, but I would agree that a security cannot be also an excluded commodity and an included commodity. I'm sorry, Chair, just to talk about the Commodity Exchange Act more precisely. Okay, so do you recognize, uh, how would you categorize these then? I think that the general sweep of what Congress did, not just in the 30s, but as a man- I'm asking you to sit in your chair now to make an assessment under the laws as exist, is either a commodity or a security? Without speaking to visibly shaking, I got to point out two things here. One, Gary Gensler's hand is trembling while giving this answer. And number two, he's referring to a law that was put in place in 1933, saying that Congress was purposefully sweeping with a broad brush in order to include crypto into crypto regulation. This makes absolutely no sense. I'm going to let this play and go back to Kevin and Johnny. Here we go. Anyone. I know you've okay. repeatedly it's said you to speak to facts. one, except you've spoken to one, Bitcoin. So I'm asking you to speak to a second one, the lar second largest market cap here. And speaking to the tokens, there's 10 to 12,000. If there's a group of entrepreneurs- I'm asking about one. The public is anticipating a profit based on the- I'm asking you a specific question, Chair Gensler. I said this in private. This should be no shock to you. I'm asking this question. Is, it an e is Ether a commodity or a security? And again, it depends on the facts and the law. And if there's a group of- I'm asking you about the facts and the law sitting in your seat and the judgment you are making. And so, uh, Mr. Chair, I think you, you would not want me to prejudge because- I'm Well, you have prejudged on this. You've taken, you've taken 50 enforcement actions. We're finding out as we go, as you file suit, as people get Wells notices on what is a security in your view, in your agency's view. I'm asking you a very simple question about the second largest digital asset. What is your view? And my view is, is if there's a group of individuals in the middle, middle that the public is- All right, so let me just ask a second question. Do you think it serves the market- for an object. Let's pause it there and get some quick commentary. Johnny, I'm going to kick it to you. And then Kevin, what stuck out to you about this clip? And how do you feel about Gary Gensler describing a security, but not labeling Ethereum as a security, even though they qualify? Well, sorry, go ahead, 
I don't know who, who you were throwing. Oh, that was to. you, and then we'll go to Kevin. All right. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's one of those things where when you see, okay, first of all, in his role where he's out there, and his role is to you know know this stuff. You can't tell me that he doesn't have an answer for what is the second largest market cap coin out there. The reality is he has an answer, but he doesn't want to give it for whatever the reason he's been told not to. He's not going to give clarity on this one. He is keeping this one in the in the dark or in the middle, right, in the gray area, because for whatever reason, he's been told to do that. Otherwise, he would go one way or the other. I mean, it's pretty obvious. We heard Vitalik come out and literally describe exactly when they were launching the ICO for Ethereum. Um, what they were going to do. And it lines up with almost every single check mark of a security. We're going to send it out there. We're going to raise money. We're going to create this blockchain, the great smart shit. I mean, there was no question it's a, it's a security. But the reality is he's not coming out and saying that for you know some other agenda or reason behind the scenes apps that we're not going to know about. I think everybody in the world knows that if, 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 if Ripple is considered security, there's no question in the world about it right now that ETH is, um, and I don't think the way, and I keep saying Ripple, it's XRP, but XRP, the way they're operating now is clearly not a security, and you are allowed to launch something as a security, and you have a certain period of time for it to, to change category status and become a non-security, and I think that's exactly the situation here with Ripple from that perspective in XRP, but we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely, and Kevin, I'd love to get some thoughts from you as well. I kind of painted the picture before about how why he's comfortable labeling Bitcoin as a commodity, but why do you believe that he's uncomfortable labeling Ethereum as a security? And do you ever think there'll be a day where the SEC goes after the Ethereum Alliance for launching that token? So let me answer the first question. Um, we have to think about who the biggest holders of Ethereum are and what organizations and foundations oversee it, which is consensus. So they own the infrastructure for Ethereum. I like Ethereum, but that means JP Morgan has a huge vested interest in Ethereum. I think it's here to stay, but it's laughable that an asset, the second biggest crypto in history, that during the bull run had a peak market cap over half a trillion dollars, over 500 bill, and he cannot provide clarity. The power is being ambiguous, keeping us guessing and keeping us in fear. So a complete joke. But what was the second question? <laughs> Do you believe there'll ever be a day where Gary Gensler is forced or any SEC commissioner is forced to go after Ethereum because they continue to describe a security and Ethereum is exactly that? So I think Ethereum has become more and more decentralized. And to start a lot of these technologies, we can't look at them like securities. We have to see these as protocols. And to bring dApps on in development, you need a foundation and organization to start decentralizing that, um, decentralizing the holdings, decentralizing the governance and voting. So I just think Gary, very, very old school. He's not going to change his mind. We need somebody new in office that's going to innovate and be open to this technology like they are in Japan, in the UK, in Switzerland, in Singapore, in the UAE. We need more open minds. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to get into a story later in the episode describing how Hong Kong just labeled cryptocurrencies as property taxes. But before we do that, we got 478 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Wednesday morning. We're going to play the last 60 seconds of this clip and then go right back to the group here. Here we go. To be, to be viewed by the commodities regulators as a commodity and the securities regulator to be viewed as a security. Do you think that provides uh, safety and soundness for, for, for the product? Do you think it provides consumer protection? Do you, see, do you think it serves the value of innovation? I think no should be a very simple answer for you here. I think that uncertainty is bad, is it not? And I think that Congress has said that there's one agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, under this committee. And you won't answer my question, and you're the head of that agency. So give me a break. Come on. <laughs> 
love this guy. Oh. Do you want to comment there, Retta? <laughs> no, I just wanted to laugh. He's fantastic. Keep okay, cool. I'll keep playing. I'm answering it in the generic because you would not want me to speak about any one set of facts and circumstance. Okay, so, but you've already spoken. Have you said anything about Bitcoin? Uh, the, the, my predecessors and the agency itself has spoken to them. Okay, so you're not willing to do the same about either. I okay, so let me just step back. There's a lack of clarity here in the marketplace. Can you at least agree to that? I think that the clarity is there. The law is clear. All right. There's a group so let, let, me, let me be, let me be explicit about this. The market doesn't see it. Your regulatory actions and the CFTC's regulatory actions say that there's a great deal of uncertainty here. It is the intention of this committee to fix that uncertainty and actually uh, provide a sound legal basis for this. I love that. And I saw a great quote on the internet yesterday. It said, never underestimate a man wearing a bow tie. But Kevin Cage, I'm going to kick it back to you before we go to Mario. What stuck out to you about this clip broadly? And then we can move on. Well, I want this uh, guy's picture framed on my wall. And just overall, he keeps referring to and throwing the blame to his predecessors and legislation that was made years ago. There's no talks about innovation. It's come talk to us. Let's find you. Let's get some money, even though they act like they're protecting the retail investor. It is not protecting the retail investor. When they had and proved that SEC officials were trading XRP before and after the lawsuit, that is insider trading, and there's no repercussions. Wow. Mario, any closing statements here? And then I'm going to play a very telling video about Ethereum to close out this segment. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we, we do need the laws to be changed. We're, we're, we're relying on 70-year-old laws to categorize this new space. And like, like it was mentioned, you know, other countries, evolved countries, countries that are pro-innovation are, are seeing crypto for what it is. Because the question is, is it a commodity? Is it security? It's crypto. And like Kevin said, it's a protocol. And then so, you know, we need new regulation, we need new rules, and we need him to start answering questions because every time that somebody's coming to him and they're asking him, can we do this? Come and see us. He's not answering the question. And then he's just going to go slap them with a lawsuit. It's completely, uh, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating being in the US and trying to innovate. Yeah, I just want to build on that. So here's the problem, apps, <clears throat> and here's the solution. <clears throat> uh oh. A little stuck over here. Hold on a second. Take a sip of water and I'll kill some time, my friends. We got all these live listeners here. Thank <clears> you so much for joining us. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours. Here's what we need. Geary is not going to give us the answers. Right? You saw it. You're not getting answers out of this guy. You could pull teeth out of this guy and you're not going to get in. I mean, he was given very, very simple questions and he refuses to answer them. And he'll just, you know, that sounds like if his predecessor said something, then he'll say that. But this guy's afraid to go on the line and say anything, right? If you really want to fix, I'm no longer looking at Gary, no longer putting the blame. Like, this is not Gary's fault. You know whose fault this is the end? This is Congress. Congress now needs to stop the bullshit. And they need to say, okay, you know what? You don't want to answer questions? No problem. Because you know what? Gary's just a cop. He's just supposed to, inform, you know, follow the rules that are, that are set up by Congress. So Congress needs to say, okay, Gary. You don't want to create the clarity? No problem. And we will, because that's what Congress is supposed to do. So if Congress wants to really fix the problem, the, the, the real issue here is with Congress, not with Gary. The, the rule, rule is 70 years old. Go fix it. All you guys need to come together, write the freaking rules down, work together to get it out on paper, get it approved, get it passed, get it signed, and then Gary goes away. And what I mean by that is he doesn't necessarily leave the job. But now it's like, okay, Gary, we told you. This is security. This is a security. We make it simple. And the fact is, 70 years ago, you could not have written a law around what 
uh, of security is for cryptocurrency. They didn't know what the hell it was back then, right? And more and broadly, I Johnny, they pointed this out during the questions yesterday. Those laws weren't written, I believe, for financial instruments. So it was of kind course. of like a new – Yeah. It doesn't that's make like sense. me trying to write a law for some technology that's going to come 200 years from now when I'm dead and gone. How is that even possible? I can't, right? So we know what it is today. Congress needs to do their job, get off their seats, write the freaking clarity, write a bill that gives it clarity and say, hey, Gary, here it is. And, and make it so that, Gary, you know, you want to have very, very, you know, black and white lines so there's no ambiguity, no guessing what it is. Don't make it very clear. You know, and put it in a play. So for now on, I'm not. You know, I'm tired of blaming Gary because we know we're not getting on that Gary. We need Congress now to step up and fix this problem. It's their responsibility, by the way, to do that. It's their job. So Congress needs to do their job. And I'm hoping this group of guys and God bless all of them. I got the list right here, guys. Write these names down. I'm going to read them out to you: Emmers, Davidson, Flood, Lawler, Mrs. Hoochin, and McHenry. Those guys, they were on it yesterday. They did their job. They hammered him as hard as they could. But unfortunately, they have no no real power because he doesn't report to them. As they said, that's another bill they want to pass. So let's hope, you know, if you're in these states and these senators or your senators or, or, or House of Representatives, support them, write them letters, tell them you're proud of them, and keep the fight because we need them to start creating momentum in that committee so the committee could draft a bill that then would go to Congress and get that thing approved and get this problem fixed. That's the only way I see a real solution coming here. Absolutely, guys. And somebody who was asking the important questions yesterday, Gary Gensler was asked, why was he comfortable labeling Bitcoin as a commodity and not Ethereum as a security? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Chair Gensler, for your testimony here today. Uh, Chairman Gensler, many times before Congress, most recently in September of 2022, you stated your belief that the vast majority of digital assets are securities. Yet in February 2023, you stated everything other than Bitcoin is a security. In March of 2023, uh, in a March of 2023 op-ed, you changed your tune slightly and asserted that most digital assets are securities. If your own view has continually evolved on these statements, how can you assert that the law is clear on the issue if you yourself uh, have vacillated on it? So I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I just thought it was important to close out that segment with the clip, Johnny Crypto. She stated it herself just four to six weeks ago. Gary Gensler was live on some news station and said he's only comfortable labeling Bitcoin as a commodity. And we broke down earlier in the episode why we believe that to be the case. But now he's describing what qualifies as a security and Bitcoin falls under those qualifications. So Throughout this entire conference, he did two things. He slipped out of every answer. He did. He avoided everything he possibly could. But he also, he made it more confusing for the average retail investor. If guys like us who sit here every day trying to understand these markets are still confused about what Gary Gensler's saying, imagine what the grandma who bought Bitcoin and decided to watch this conference is thinking. So, Johnny, I'd just like to get some brief comments while I pull up the next article. Feel free to take it however you'd like. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, spot on there. I, I just think that, for some reason, again, I think I said it earlier, we're, we're dealing with this whole kind of hold crypto down right now. We're pushing all the innovation of crypto outside of the U.S. You see it happening. You see, you know, the U.K. and India and, and, and even India starting to open up to it. But all Japan, we, we are seeing major adoption of cryptocurrencies around the world. Jerome Powell said three years ago, we're going to move very slow with this technology. We don't want we want to get it right. He said we're going to move slow. We're going to get it right while the rest of the world was miles ahead of us and unfortunately what it really means is sad for the u.s you're gonna rather than being a leader in this technology we're going to be a follower rather than creating jobs those jobs are going to get created elsewhere 
as Kevin said earlier, this is all about a blockchain technology. This is new technology. This is innovation. This is going to, whoever kind of takes the lead on this and Web 3.0 is going to become a, a major, major player, whichever country that is in this space and in the world moving forward globally as an innovative leader and as a job creator. Um, so for me, the U.S. is taking a, a seat behind because of this. Very, very sad. We had Jeremy Hogan on the show. What did he say? He said he was telling people, don't do anything in the U.S. because there's no clarity. You're going to get in trouble. That is a sad, sad day for the number one innovating country in the world. Very sad day. And I love this comment here, Kevin. It said, imagine having a coach to tell you to play baseball, but then doesn't show you how to play. That is exactly what Gary Gensler saying. And now imagine that coach looks you in the eyes and says, how dare you not know the rules? I mean, I'm going to give you the open floor, Kevin. Then I want to talk about Hong Kong because China's state-affiliated banks are onboarding crypto companies at an accelerated rate. And Johnny Crypto brought it up just a couple of minutes ago. If these companies leave the United States, they don't cease to exist. They're going elsewhere. And Hong Kong, one of our greatest competitors in the global markets, is onboarding crypto companies and now creating new crypto policies that label cryptocurrencies as property. And that's what I'm going to break down before I kick it to Kevin here. But guys, we got 519 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this beautiful Wednesday morning. A court based out of Hong Kong has acknowledged that cryptocurrencies operate as property and can be held in trust in a ruling involving a defunct crypto exchange, Gatecoin. A law firm, Hogan Lovells, said that crypto has the attributes of a property. And the court deemed that it was appropriate to follow the reasoning applied by other jurisdictions that crypto was property and was able to form the subject matter of a trust. Like other common law jurisdictions, our definition of a property in the U.S., they would label it as a security, is as inclusive one and is intended to have a wide meaning in order to get a broad range of assets. The new rule can potentially give insolvency practitioners in Hong Kong greater clarity in terms of digital assets. And Kevin, that's what really sticks out to me. While the U.S. is debating what's a commodity, what's a security, Hong Kong is moving forward and bringing clarity to the digital asset space. How do you feel about an American competitor adopting this new technology while we're pushing it out of our borders? So I think this is just the beginning. And I think every other country is going to be leading the United States in this case, unless this was all planned and we're going to come out the gate you know, pretty quickly. Um, we have to think about what's happening big picture, though. So we have global equities market like stocks, 100 trillion bonds over 100 trillion, I think 128 commodities, 19 trillion real estate, commercial and residential over 300 trillion derivatives, 600 trillion plus. Then we have Swift estimating tokenized volumes by 2027 could reach about 24 trillion. Okay, so we're tokenizing globally illiquid assets and other asset classes, but there's no plans for the crypto asset class that's at 1% of that size. So it doesn't make sense. We're not going to have centralized, 100% centralized systems tokenizing these asset classes. We're going to have hybrid versions of this with public and privacy. And I think the future has to be open source to some degree. And the benefit of having a public and private network is that you can cross-reference the audit trail. So if somebody's lying in a private centralized entity, you can call them out on the public network. And then one last thing, and then I'll let you continue, is Boston Consultancy Group estimated by 2030 the tokenization of globally illiquid assets that have yet to be tokenized. This is new money in new markets we've never seen, such as intellectual property. Could reach $16 trillion to as high as $68 trillion. So... 
I, I'm just a huge believer um, that we are in Web 3. Web 2 started in 1999, took a couple decades, and I think we are still unbelievably early. Johnny, this reminds me of an article we brought up a couple of weeks ago where they said, I can't be, I can't remember who it was. It was the IMF or the World Economic Forum. Somebody was predicting eight. Oh, it was Citibank. Here's what it was. Citibank was predicting $8 trillion in tokenized assets by the year 2030. And Kevin just laid out four or five other global brands that are predicting trillions in tokenized assets. Yet the Federal Reserve is claiming we're debating if crypto assets are going to be adopted. And on top of it, they're stating that right now they have no plans to launch a CBDC. So why would the most important institutions on our planet be betting on central bank digital currencies while the people launching the product are claiming they haven't made up their mind? Well, first of all, we know they have plans to launch a CBDC. Yellow already came out and said it'll be here in two years. So by 2024, 25, we, we will have a CBDC. So, you know, that's coming. There's no question about it. Um, in terms of the organization, the, the market is tremendous, tremendous size. And um, we need to move fast to get it to, to be able to tokenize that those uh, those items. I think you're going to see, you know, everything. We've talked about this over and over again about the whole entire tokenization of this market. That's just going to happen. The question is, is the U.S. going to get left behind? You know, as Kevin said, if they don't have a plan to move fast, and I don't know if they do. Um, it is going to, we are going to be left behind in that space of it. And we're going to be playing a follow-up or a catch-up to it rather than a leader. And I think that is planned to be honest with you, but that's just my guess. I have no, no inside information on that. The federal reserve put out a statement earlier this week that said the fed now service is neither a form of currency nor a step toward eliminating any form of payment, including cash. The fed now service is an instant payment service provided by the federal reserve and launching in July of 2023. Well, what gets me, I don't know if I want to say nervous, but it makes me pay attention to this. This is clearly a step in that direction. And Congress has laws in place stating that the Federal Reserve cannot launch a central bank digital currency. So unless there's congressional changes, this isn't going to be allowed within the United States. Now, I'm sure there's nuances. Maybe they could call it a federal digital asset or something along those lines to get around some of those protocols. But Mario, what does it mean to you? And are you concerned about a CBDC or is this just inevitable? Oh, yeah, CBDC, absolutely. I mean, I'm concerned about the control that the CBDC is going to bring uh, over over society. But there's no doubt that it's going to become digital at some point, whether they call it, like you said, you know, the federal Fed digital service or, or the digital dollar. It's it's just going to happen. It's inevitable as we move on to the, the Web3, as Kevin just mentioned. But um, yeah, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens, guys. And Kevin, you're going to be excited because I would love for you to break down the latest update out of Casper this morning. You've been talking about this for several, I believe it's a week or two on your channel. I've been watching these videos. The largest enterprise development in history is coming soon on Casper's public blockchain as 7 to 10 billion initially and then much more. So, Kevin, I'm going to give you the open floor before I read the details. Why is this so important? And for anybody who doesn't have any understanding, what's really happening here on Casper's blockchain? All right. So, yeah, this is something that I am most excited about in the blockchain space period, especially for an L1. So once again, I think XRP has payments in the bag per the integrations. We just have the final boss with the SEC hoping for clarity. But when it comes for an L1 with upgradability, Casper has my full attention for a variety of reasons. So intellectual property is a huge market IP. These patents, there's billions of dollars in value, actually trillions. So the S&P 500 is about $30 trillion. It's estimated that 30% of that, of the S&P, 
is intellectual property or patents value. So this information, that's wow. what is that? Uh, 10 trillion right there in total wow. is going to be tokenized and operating. Now there's hundreds of millions of dollars in fees for fraud, people selling patents that shouldn't, there's no proper audit trail and there's not accurate pricing for trading these patents as well. So this is just the next step of intellectual property and one big use case. And that's why all of us are so excited about crypto because this is trillions of dollars in the future, right now, seven to 10 billion initially, as the CEO said during the Genfinity interview. And just for perspective, because he, he mentioned with IPWE, they have Nike, they have Toshiba. These are the companies bringing patents on Casper. And one example as well that IPWE shared is Porsche. Their patents portfolio, Porsche, is 22 billion. So that's just massive for one company. So to make this tradable and traceable for the first time in history on Casper's public chain is huge. So the deployment now, when you deploy these patents is NFTs. It's a token on Casper on the public network. It's going to cost a certain amount of Casper as a fee to deploy it. Just like when you deploy an you know, NFT on the XRP ledger or Ethereum. And so... We're curious what the fee will be because they're going to launch these in batches. It could be 300K patents at once deployed. And I'm very excited and 100% speculating how much value this could bring because it's 7 to 10 billion on the public network. So when you're playing with numbers, even be con being conservative, it could be 2% of the entire supply. It could be 5%. We don't know yet. And that amount of money of Casper will then go to the validators. And in theory, we think the validators will continue to stake because they're not interested in selling Casper now. And that would reduce the actual supply that's in circulation for exchanges and retail because it's a utility token. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, there's another point I wanted to share regarding it. Um, the thing about enterprises is the sales cycle is a lot slower. Yes, you can make some liquidity farming DeFi app on Ethereum. Everybody loves it. Maybe it goes to the moon. Enterprises, once they launch on a platform, they are there for years. They have no interest in migrating and paying millions of dollars to migrate. So this is one use case, and I could name several others right now in development, and some actually starting to be live. And the Casper CEO, who was a top ETH holder, seed funder, along with Hedera, Filecoin, etc., said if we get one of these use cases, we will have more transactions than the entire Ethereum network. Whoa. So that's a big deal to me. Yeah, that's a huge deal. And Johnny, I'd love to hear a couple of things that caught your attention. But before I do that, Kevin, where are some of the exchanges? I know for me personally, I have to use Uphold to purchase this currency. And I'd love to preface this, not financial advisors, not financial advice. But a lot of people are wondering, where can they even find Casper? Maybe you can uh, enlighten them. Sure. So you can get it on KuCoin. I use Mexi because I'm a U.S. resident and I can KYC and still withdraw like 10 Bitcoin plus. So Mexi, M-E-X-E. Um, Bitrue and Uphold, but sometimes you'll pay a little premium. Um, it'll be a little more expensive on those exchanges, so be careful. You know, I love them both, but yeah, I would go KuCoin or Mexi, not financial advice. Johnny, as somebody who's familiar with the technology space, how do you feel about the blockchain adoption coming to smaller blockchains like Casper? Typically on our channel, me and you will focus on ADA and Ethereum and Algorand, some of the largest projects in the market, but a smaller low-cap project like Casper, and let me just pull up the market cap real quick. So what, what are we looking at here? We're ranking number 82. So it's still in the top 100. It's not like it's a penny on the dollar, but it is a project that has a lot of room for growth. So how do you feel about companies like this? And Kevin might not agree with this, but Johnny, how do you feel about Casper coming out and making promises or, or 
of making these announcements and then people anticipating price action. What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, that that's always going to be happening in a speculative type space that we're in right now. But for me, I got into this one <laughs> again because of Kevin, as I started researching, as he brought attention to it. Um, for me, one of those things that I liked about it was the fact that you will have enterprises, companies, corporations wanting to get into this space, and they're going to make it easier for them to do that. The only concern I ever had on this one, literally one, and actually I'm curious of Kevin's thoughts. I'm glad we got him on. Was, I, You know me. I like projects where they have a max supply so they cannot continue to uh, be like the U.S. government and print, you know, fiat into oblivion, right? And and from what I've seen, at least uh, on Coin Market Cap and Coin Geckos, they don't they don't list a max supply, which worries me that you know can they continue to print more coins over time? I'm curious, Kevin, if you have a a position. First of all, do you know if they do have a max supply? I don't see it listed. It never was on Coin Market Cap. And is if not, is that a concern to you at all, in your opinion, or what's your thoughts on that, on them not having a max supply? Sure. So yeah, I've, I've done videos covering this and a few spreadsheets. So mm. Casper has an 8% inflation rate. Yeah. Um, other protocols do have inflation rates like Ethereum. Now, the point of it is kind of being the utility token and liquidity for the network. Now, just for comparison, because a lot of people get scared by that, and that's completely fine. Um, Casper supply, even adding 8% per year, will not have the same circulating supply as HBAR or ADA for about 15 years. Hmm. So it'll still take 15 years to even reach those circulating supplies. So for people in theory to believe HBAR can hit $1, keep in mind ADA with the supply three times larger at 32 billion reached three bucks. If Casper did that, that's nine bucks. Um, so for comparison with the utility token, I still believe with proper demand and transactions on the network as they shared, it won't matter one bit. And they need that supply. The inflation rate is used to reward the validators on the network mm -hmm. to cover the overhead cost. So there's a method to the madness. I mean, these guys have backgrounds in economics and the founder of Casper per NASDAQ and Coindesk, his roommate in 2010 was 5% of Bitcoin's hash power with the wow. rack of servers. Wow. 5%. So, I mean, these guys go way back. Very, very transparent with what they're doing and i'm interested overall but i agree with you with you know q and t i love that it's finite absolutely yes yes exactly i love when i see that finite it just makes me feel better a whole lot better that you know you're not at this at somebody else's mercy that you know to continue to drive the price down by by um diluting it right but eight uh, percent seems realistic or fair if, if they're going to use it for validation uh, I guess to to pay the validators. So all right, that's, um, at least, at least yeah, we know it. I'm, so that's important. I'm personally hoping that it's enough to scare the average retail investor away because mm. Casper is not really marketing to retail. It's a yeah. government and infrastructure play, already backed by Skybridge, a 3.5 billion dollar fund, and he explicitly said, and they're presenting next month at Salt in front of government leaders and Fortune 500s again, that if we get 50 of the Fortune 2000, we're going to be an industry standard. So. I see it very interesting long-term, but yeah, totally agree. That's no, fascinating. Johnny Crypto, you brought up something important and we are going to play the Merlin ad, but I do want to get Kevin's thoughts on Quant Network first, just because we addressed it here. I don't have anything pulled up in the background, so feel free to take this any direction you would like. Typically, when we talk about Quant, we focus on the Oracle provider and how it could be the web connecting traditional finance to many of the Web3 products that we're going to be using in the second half of this decade. So, just overall, what do you think about Quant? I know they have a very low circulating supply and they're built to facilitate movement between traditional finance 
and the digital age. So what are some of the things that stick out to you about that project in particular, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. So I first talked about quant back when it was like three bucks in 2018 on YouTube. Um, you know, super happy with it, did not do any perfect trades by any means, but I hold some. Um, one guy I follow on Twitter that shares phenomenal information that helps me keep up with it is just a tech guy. He is a developer, I believe. He might be like a Corda certified certified developer. Awesome information regarding that that I try to keep tabs on. But overall, um, you know, people will complain that QNT is not in all these documents or they don't explicitly name the token, but that's silly. You know, the operating system is pretty well integrated across the board with some of the largest companies, which is interesting. From a price standpoint, though, since QNT and a few other alts I've been tracking for the past year, QNT did a 5x from that low last year. I'm much more focused on other alts that are closer to the low and haven't seen any type of retracement because it is perfectly healthy for QNT to chill for a bit after doing a 450% increase last year. So I was charting it last night, actually, and it does have a head and shoulders pattern. Um, I know that might scare a lot of people if we did see a you know bit of a retracement. But long term, like Johnny said, it is so finite. Um, I forget the calculations of how much QNT is actually available. And it's needed to run this operating system. So long term, I'd be absolutely confident. And uh, it's definitely one of the most legitimate interoperability plays. It's agnostic. It's not meant to just be on ETH. It can evolve with the times. Johnny Crypto, Kevin brought up something very funny. He said he's thinking the price is going to go down, so hopefully people aren't alarmed. That is what Johnny's been praying for here. Um, every time, let me preface this before you get a response, Johnny. Every time we get a price dip, we typically like to talk in a positive light. And when things are going up, we're actually the type of channel that gets a little nervous because we know we should be taking profit. So for Kevin to say there's going to be a head and shoulders on a great project like Quant, we know that's just presenting a great opportunity for many of our listeners to accumulate, guys. But we got 587 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're about to show you guys the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. And, and yes, it is the smartest way to track your crypto. Hey, um, I made it back before the end of the bathroom break, John. You don't have to keep <laughs> me off the screen. But guys, it is the smartest way to track your crypto. And what's so exciting about this product in particular is you get an absolutely free 30-day free trial. So go click on the link down below to get on our wait list. And when the product is launched, we are going to be giving you 30 days free. And Johnny, just 30 seconds here. I know you gave a live update during the Freedom Conference this week. So maybe you can fill people in. I know it was a huge success. Yeah, it was fantastic at the Freedom Conference. If you were there, you got to actually see a live demo of Merlin working. 
Uh, we're excited. We're very, very close to launching it. So, uh, and the folks that were there, the response was overwhelming. We had over 85% of the folks after seeing it sign up for Merlin. So that just tells us that we have created something useful. Uh, we're happy that we can put it in the hands of people and they're going to be able to actually you know, make their lives simpler, right? Trying to track your crypto is a freaking nightmare. When I got in this space, I had coins all over. I got five different exchanges. You're trying to figure out what's going on each one. I got a spreadsheet I'm managing to keep it all. And I, you know, I'm curious to see how Kevin, Kevin, I'd love to know, how do you manage your coins in this space? Because I found it incredibly difficult. And that's why we created Merlin. But I'm curious to your thoughts. Do you have a spreadsheet or how do you keep track of all your stuff? I'll use a spreadsheet um, for different parts of holdings. But then other times I'll use, you know, like, uh, what is it? coin tracker but i still can't get the darn integration and the cost basis correctly set up coin stats so it's still been a pain in the butt so i'm looking forward to it yeah and that's one of the things we did with merlin is we we, we saw the same problem with all those other trackers and we put some extra tools in there to make it easier so that ultimately if you know your average cost it's very very simple to put it into merlin and uh, we'll be sharing that with folks as well and we also have another exciting announcement We've partnered with some influencers as well. We're not we're not releasing those names yet, but we will over time. So we're excited about that too, Ab. So a lot of cool, exciting things coming, guys. Sit tight. We're getting close. Hopefully sometime this quarter before the end of June, we will launch Merlin, and you guys will be able to track your crypto the smartest way possible. Thank you so much. And as you know, Johnny Crypto is very short-winded. So I know we kept it brief there, guys. But if you don't know, Merlin is the smartest way to track your crypto. And for anyone who's wondering, XRP may be considered a security. You say in your statements that there's clarity in the market and the rules are clear. Just come on in. You can't even answer the question. Do you say XRP is a security? We're in uh, uh, court and active uh, discussions and litigation on that. We are in court in active discussions and litigation on that. The wording is so important, Kevin, and we always like to focus on that on our channel. He picked specific words there. And one of the things that I wanted to focus on, and you had an answer to this before the show, why do you believe Gary Gensler wasn't comfortable saying we do consider XRP a security? That's why we're suing Ripple. I personally don't think they're going to get the win they're looking for. Again, not financial advice. Um, my personal hope is, look, Ripple's a $10 billion plus software company. They can afford a fine for early onset sales from 2017 and beforehand. Let's rip the Band-Aid off, pay your fines, and let's get the show on the road because on a going forward basis, XRP, the XRP ledger is decentralized. So I just don't see his confidence right now. And so I'm looking forward and keeping tabs on all the amazing attorneys, James Filan, John Deaton, um, Hogan, all these guys sharing insights because fingers crossed, I am hoping it is this year. And we've talked about how a settlement date could be coming on May 6th, and that could be when we're in XRP Las Vegas, Johnny. But Mario, I'd like to get some thoughts from you as well. We highlighted this during our four-hour and 40-minute stream yesterday. Gary Gensler is amazing at saying a lot without actually saying anything. And yesterday, he may have actually given us a little hint into what's going on behind the scenes. Him not being comfortable listing XRP as a security in this setting could be very telling for what's going on. So I'd just like to get some thoughts from you, and then we'll continue. Yeah, I think there was a lot of hints. I think the fact that he refused to answer a lot of questions, that's already a, a big hint, right? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's it's frustrating because he, he says things like, come on in, come on in, you know, but you go in and the room's empty. There's nobody to help you. There's nobody to guide you. There's no rules. So, you know, the, what happened yesterday listening to, uh, and good job yesterday with the live stream, man. Like you were, you were a true warrior for staying on for that long. But um, 
yeah, listening to to a lot of a lot of the questions. I mean, a lot of the questions were fantastic, and I was like, "Come on, please answer!" And then, complete disappointment. You know, broad answer, or most of the time, completely refusing to get to the point. But um, I think that's a big sign. I am hopeful that the U.S. is not going to get left behind. I am hopeful that this is just part of some some plan to uh, I don't know be the leader at some point. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful. Let's let's hope that that the U.S. does come out on top and that we finally get some sort of clarity. Absolutely, guys. And to close out this segment here, I'm going to play one final video in regards to who Gary Gensler is and where he comes from. Gary Gensler is a former partner at Goldman Sachs worth over $100 million. He knows there's no clarity on rules for digital assets. There needs to be clarity in the market. But he doesn't care. Instead of providing clarity, he is launching a full-scale attack on crypto. Um, In terms of the enforcement, yes, we're going to use our enforcement authorities. Gary Gensler and his SEC have decided that regulation by enforcement is here to stay. He is attacking American innovators while vilifying the investors he's supposed to protect. Incentives to avoid the anti-money laundering laws or incentives to avoid, I mean, because, you know, Bitcoin's been used for ransomware around the globe fraudsters or by good faith actors we have to guard against illicit activity do you consider yourself to be their daddy make your voice heard and tell your members of congress that the sec is hurting the people they should be protecting oh that face that is absolutely brutal and i actually didn't hear that question i think gary gensler does consider himself the cryptocurrency dad and i'm not going to say daddy but kevin i'd like to get some closing remarks here I'm actually not sure. You know what? Let's actually get into our next segment because we've hit Gary Gensler enough during this live podcast. And I want to get into an interesting conversation talking about AI and how it could be impacting our future going forward. So with that being said, here's a brief clip. ChatGPT reached 100 million monthly users in January and showed us just how advanced artificial intelligence has become. And now Elon Musk launched an AI company as part of the billionaire's plan to create a new super company. Microsoft and Google have even shifted their corporate strategies and are investing billions into AI. Don't miss your chance to invest in AI companies available on Lintu's platform. Sam Inova built GPT banking. Cerebra Systems builds the fastest chips in the industry. And- so they just go on to highlight how they offer many of the elite AI products in the market today. But Kevin, one of the things that we've been focusing on on our channel is how central bank digital currencies, universal basic income, and artificial intelligence are all a part of the same conversation. And it's a broader move into a digital age. When AI comes into these markets, they're going to replace many essential workers today. And a couple of ideas that come to mind are truck drivers, fast food employees, and we can even go into specific fields such as lawyers and doctors. What are some of the things that you like to consider when you're looking at AI coming into this space? We understand this technology is inevitable, but is it a concern to the average retail investor? So yes and no. With any amazing technology, there's you know some bad and some good that can come out of it. I was listening to uh, Ralph Powell have an interview, and he was comparing with ChatGPT. It went to 100 million users, whether in a single month or four months. That is insane that type of growth to see that with AI utility. We have Google making new assistants like Bard and the comparison between how intelligent AI is compared to us and reaching singularity is our brain power compared to an ant walking on the ground. That's the difference. So AI just has incredible potential. And I think that these new innovations are making crypto and blockchain and DLT even more important and more valid. I heard a really, really interesting conversation this week where Gary, not Gary Kensler, Elon Musk was talking about AI development and how he actually used to stay up late through the night 
working with the lead official at Google who's responsible for AI development today. Now, one of the most eerie parts of this conversation is when Elon Musk was explaining how dangerous AI can be, the leader of Google called him a speciest. He said, you are in favor of the human race. Your mindset is so limited. And Elon Musk broke out in laughter saying, you know what? You got me. I am a speciest. I do want what's best for the human race. But what's so creepy, and I want to use that word in particular about this clip, is that if that is the man who's in charge of AI development, we're not in good hands. The safety protocols are being put to the side. And Joe Rogan has even said this before as well. We are the, the sex organs of the technological age. We are the creators of this technology and we're building the technological cocoon that eventually is going to transform us. And I completely agree with that statement, Johnny. I'd love to get some broader thoughts from you. And then Mario, what are you thinking about all this development? Yeah, I, I'm going to defer to Mario because we haven't heard from him for a while. So Mario, feel free to chime in. I uh, appreciate that, brother. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw, but yesterday I got a notification that Twitter Inc. has been renamed uh, as X Corp. So it's absolutely in Elon's plan. He wants to bring in this X app, which he's mentioned it many years ago, and he's got the background as far as payments with, with coming out with PayPal. And I think we're very close to seeing him um, finally put this together and, and come out with something like a WeChat, like, like what they use in China. And we keep talking about this, but you know, it's where you bring social social networking with payments and communications, everything under one app. And then let's see where he takes that because, you know, once you have that infrastructure and you have the users, you can open that to many use cases. And if he integrates blockchain, which I really think he will uh, to some extent, whether it will be crypto transactions, um, maybe he starts coming out with hardware, but yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super excited for the future of AI as well. I've been digging into some AI technologies out there like, there's certain AIs that are able to just make your website like this. You tell it what you want and it creates it. It's super interesting. I'm excited. That's super. Uh, can I cut in really quick? Sorry. That's really interesting about Elon as well, because, you know, we think he owns Twitter just to share funny information and shield doge. But in reality, he's just gathering data. We have long form video, long form tweets now and using AI models. He can let us talk about whatever we want, argue about what we want, like and retweet. And he's just gathering the true gold data. And we even brought this up at our conference, Kevin. It's very funny that you mentioned that because one of the topics of our Freedom Conference is in the new age of digitalization, uh, data is the new oil. So data is what's fueling this new economy. And to no surprise at all, Elon Musk went out and purchased the number one data center on the planet. That would be Twitter. So, Johnny, do you have any closing remarks in regards to oil and data being compared in this new age? I mean, you know, if you look at all the companies today, <laughs> big data is everything. That is that is the new gold. That is the new oil. I mean, we've been saying it over again. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Amazon makes more of their money from data than they actually do from a bookstore or, or a store, but most people don't realize that. But AWS is their major uh, income generator. But nonetheless, um, that's what, when you think about what Elon's doing, it's brilliant. There's a whole huge set of data he just grabbed. Now being able to bring that all together with a payment system and everything else, he will make uh, Twitter probably the WeChat of the U.S. I believe that's the goal uh, while having all that data in the future. So it makes sense. Absolutely. And I'd love to shift gears just a little bit here and discuss Hedera Hashgraph, one of our listeners' favorite, favorite tokens. And we got 532 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out this HBAR upgrade as they are going to be entering the Hedera Hashgraph Enterprise Program is an enterprise-focused innovation program aimed at accelerating the development and deployment 
of enterprise use cases on the Hedera network. Now, the reason that's so important is when you look at the governing council of this blockchain in particular, we've got some of the largest names on the planet. Uh, Kevin, I'd love to just give you the open floor. We don't want to run through these names here, but I do want to talk about the development happening on HBAR. I believe there's already, is it 7 billion tokenized assets on that blockchain? I want to, I want to reference my stat before I actually ask my question. Do, do you know? So with uh, Hedera, one use case is Atma.io, and they have 22 items right now being tracked on HBAR. Um, and that's crazy. We're talking about transactions on a network, and the more transactions and computation, the more valuable the network can be. So I think that's an amazing start, and that's one partner. So if we had other use cases, supply chain tracking, um, and just having identity tags to all these items, that's huge. Absolutely, Kevin. And one of the things we always talk about during a bear market is not only who is evolving during that time, but who's actually going out, creating projects and even absorbing other companies. Well, Hedera meets many of those qualifications as they haven't been slowed down at all during this bear market. This program is going to be supported with up to $22 million worth of HBAR from Hedera and aims to provide the drive to onboard more than 40 enterprise projects per year. That's a huge number. And you just outlined one project. Projects will be eligible for up to $500,000 in U.S. equivalent in HBAR funding to participate in this enterprise-driven technology. Now, when we look at the governing council in particular, there are many big names, and I'd like to have a broader conversation here, Kevin. Google, Boeing, IBM, several of the billion-dollar companies that run this uh, run the globe today are involved in this project, but I'm sure you have a better understanding. Because they're a part of the governing council, do you believe that those companies are incentivized to use Hedera, or is this just more of a think tank built on top of that technology? I think it's more of a, a think tank. If we go to hbarfoundation.org, we can see there's been over $408 million and 225 grants distributed to build on Hedera and build these apps. Um, one critique of Hedera, though, is, okay, we have Google, we have Dell. Why would their competitors want to join the council or join their network if these guys are calling the shots? So I've seen Hedera working on better decentralization to make it more open and fair. Um, but overall, I mean, anybody that doesn't think HBAR and Hashgraph is a legitimate enterprise play, I don't know what to tell you because they have hundreds of millions of dollars backing them, a variety of ecosystem funds. And I think it's a serious survivor as this asset class matures. Johnny Crypto, Hedera is a very exciting project, but you brought up another one that you like to talk about, and it's it's slipping me right now. I can't remember the name, actually. I'm so sorry. It, it's similar to Filecoin. Um, can you remember or no? I can move on. Are we? They are. Um, there's File, there's Storage, there's Sia. Um, yeah. Sorry, it's so slipped me, guys. That, that's my fault. But I would love to continue with the HBAR content because HBAR is one of the best projects built today. And they've got a specific technology called Hashgraph technology that is fundamentally different from many of the blockchain products that exist. So just to close out our HBAR segment, Kevin, can you elaborate on the Hashgraph technology and maybe why that's better for institutions to use instead of traditional blockchain? So just comparing it to proof of work, it's a lot more scalable. Um, TPS can go through the roof and it's extremely efficient, just like Hedera showcasing sustainability. So, you know, blockchain is just one type of DLT and a DAG, a directed acyclic graph is another. It's a lot more scalable. Um, there's other platforms that use types of DAGs or, you know, IOTA with the tangle. So I don't think there's, you know, one right way to do this. So I really like what Hedera is doing and they're built for scale, uh, scalability and to grow with these massive use cases that they plan. 
Thank you so much, guys. And to close out this show for today, I want to discuss a very important article, which was the rumors that the IMF was going to be launching and supporting a CBDC product with a company called the Digital Currency Monetary Authority. Well, we're about to dispel many of those claims right here. As the Digital Currency Monetary Authority announced a CBDC called the Universal Monetary Unit or Unicorn. The IMF has denied all connections to this product, stating that the IMF has no involvement with the DCMA or Unicorn. Now, this is pretty good for our listeners because we dispelled it. Anyone who watches our show every day, when this article first came out and we went to the website, we knew they weren't connected just because of how poor they presented themselves online. But the product itself is something that we do believe will come to fruition at some point as we're going through an evolution of our banking system. And whether it's a central bank digital currency that we we have um, that we're allowed to use or a private new monetary unit that banks exchange value with, we understand that there's a change going on before our eyes. So just to close out the show for today, Kevin, I'd love to get some final thoughts on what you believe we're going to see in 2024. 2023, we're anticipating a bear market, but the halving is coming up in the spring of 2024 for Bitcoin. Are you anticipating some bullish momentum here? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the halving's coming up April, May. So, you know, we went through one of the worst years in securities and crypto history. So in terms of timing, we're going to see, but I believe that Bitcoin absolutely retraces more this year. You can look at support levels. If Bitcoin comes back to like the 50 monthly MA at 25K or 22K, people will be freaking out. But provided those support, that support holds, I could see north of 40K pretty quickly. And just specifically for this short-term thinking, a lot of people are anticipating an automatic rally before we even enter the price action that we're experiencing now. And now many chart analysts are calling for that thirty to $32,000 Bitcoin range before we enter our bear market and complete that consolidation. So obviously nobody knows what's going to happen, but I'd just love to hear what you're predicting. If we do experience Bitcoin getting up into that thirty-two, dollars $35,000 range, is that, a, is that a telltale sign that we're going to come back down? Or do you believe we're exiting the bear market? I think we're exiting the bear market. Um, we do have an open gap still at about 34.8 near the 382 retracement. So, I mean, provided we hold the 22K level max, I see us going north of 40K this year. Hey, Kev, I got a question for you building on this. So, everybody talks about, you know, the halvings coming next year, four year cycle, it's, you know, and everybody's getting excited that we're going to have this monster bull run. But I kind of look at, when you look at things, I kind of look at the facts and the situation of each one. And in the past three bull runs, we've uh, had a monetary policy where we're always printing. We are now in a complete reversal where we're no longer printing. We're going in the opposite direction, right? So that's factor number one. And then factor number two, we've never had the SEC and, and an operation choke point happening to the degree we're seeing right now and in the future in the prior three. So you didn't have the SEC, you didn't have the government on your back, you didn't, ha and you had printing in its favor. All those things are now factors, in my opinion, going forward that maybe I'm wondering, or my question to you is, do you think that will impact the bull run that, you know, everybody's expecting to see? Or do you think this is going to be business as normal? And, you know, if you look at this chart here, we can see the, you know, the amount of percentage upping, you know, every time we've had a bull run. Do you think it's just a normal bull run or do you think these factors that we're no longer printing money and the government is squeezing crypto that we may not get as big of a bull run as everybody thinks? What's your thoughts? So I think there's, you know, tons of variables. It's way more complex than 10 years ago. I think this year overall is going to be deflationary 
And I think that crypto can still see a decent pump, especially the altcoin market breaking out of some important levels right now. So structurally, over the past 10 years, three cycles, Bitcoin reaches this R1 pivot that's about 39, 40K. So we've seen that three times in a row. That's what I see at the very least. Um, but I'm incredibly open to, you know, retesting an all-time high price. I know it sounds too good to be true now after a year and a half, but structurally, I'm pretty confident. If we see any type of unsustainable move and in the market, just like alt's doing a 5X like that, then yes, I'm looking for a huge pullback, just like always. Um, but other than that, I think the huge focus is risk on assets. People are not interested now in the yields that bonds are providing. It's not keeping up with inflation. These investors, even sophisticated investors, are looking at the risk to reward, and crypto provides the best asymmetric opportunity. Absolutely. Especially during Thanksgiving years. Yeah. Johnny, do you have any follow-up questions? Because I do have one when it comes to the Bitcoin price chart in particular. We've seen, and this chart outlines it perfectly, whenever we go through these bullish cycles, it typically happens at a moment where we're coming out of a bear market, we reach that consolidation, but we back test this white line. And I think we still need to do that here. So for anybody who's wondering, in 2024, Johnny painted something very different from an economic picture. The Fed is not going to infinitely print money. And throughout this entire price chart that we're witnessing with Bitcoin, we were in an environment where the government and the Federal Reserve were incentivized to put money into the economy. Well, for the first time during these Bitcoin cycles, quantitative tightening has begun. The Federal Reserve is doing everything they can to pull money out of the economy. Now, Kevin, we've heard this several times from the Federal Reserve. They need unemployment rate to go up by about 2.5% or 2% from where we are today in order for the quantitative easing to begin again, which means putting money back into the economy. Well, there was a dark statistic that I found on the web. That would not only mean that 2.5 million Americans would be losing their jobs, it means that for every one point that unemployment goes up in America, 40,000 lives are lost. And I thought that was really interesting because we talk about job loss, but 40,000 deaths, that's a lot of people that you know, I don't want to say die, but that's a lot of people who experience those economic hardships. And it's a very telling story about what unemployment means in this country. So while we go into an age where inflation seems to be here forever, do you believe that assets like Bitcoin are set to benefit off that inflation for many years to come? So overall, um, for this year, I do think Bitcoin can see some good price appreciation. But with that being said, I believe that utility will allow these altcoins in the future post-regulation to officially decouple. So, you know, nothing against Bitcoin. It's a store value, best performing asset in history. But if I'm looking for generational wealth and better opportunity, I'm going to have to play the game and take the risk in certain altcoins. So I'm focused on those that look like they have the funds to survive. Because if the crypto asset class, 1% of the traditional you know stock market and global equities market goes up even just a little bit captures five percent that's insane roi from here so i'm playing the altcoin market and still going off the thesis that utility is going to win and we will decouple and our our alts will have a better roi than bitcoin if we look out the next three years my bet i'll have a much higher return in altcoins absolutely and johnny i'm going to end this video with a pretty funny take from gary gensler this is not directly crypto related but if you've ever seen a deer in headlights or if your friend has ever seen a ghost, I'm sure you've seen this expression before. So this video speaks for itself. Here we go. Hey, real quick, last question. I think it might have came up. You were Hillary Clinton's uh, CFO in the campaign, right? It's part of my history. Were you? Yes or no? In 2016. Did you facilitate the payment for the Steele dossier since you were CFO of the Hillary Clinton campaign? 
sir. Yes or no, sir. Yes or no. That that was that was not. You're under oath, Chairman Gensler. Yes or I no. Know. Checkmate. It's not something I was aware of. I yield back the rest of my time. So it's not something he was aware of. If there's anything we can take away from that statement, it's that he knows something was wrong. Right. You can tell that he was not prepped on that question. Elizabeth Warren did not prepare him for that to be asked. So <laughs> I can understand why he's so shocked. But guys, any closing comments? Just a funny note to end the show. I think he saw a ghost. <laughs> oh man. He definitely didn't see that one coming, that's for sure, Abs. His eyes almost popped out. Did you see that? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, I did. But guys, we're going to end this show off the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. Thank you to Mario. And thank you to Kevin Cage himself. We got 511 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Wednesday morning. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, get your shit together, baby. Thanks for joining us. Let's go. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kevin.